How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks, brought to you by BrewHoop.com. I'm Eric Name, and as always, Frank Madden joins me, and he's physically in the state of Wisconsin. We didn't actually get together. I also know that he just drove for way longer than anyone should ever, ever drive. Um, So, Frank, how how are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, Well, I mean... I didn't drive straight from Texas to Wisconsin, to be clear. Uh, my wife was with me, as were my dogs, so I don't think that would have been... Actually, the dogs wouldn't have cared because they were just sleeping in the back seat. But, uh, yeah, we, we did stop. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were about, about 10 hours on the road, two straight days, so it takes a while. But I, I drove from Boston to Austin a couple months ago, uh, and that was that was much longer, so... That's like another ten hours, basically. So that was that was way, and I was I did that I did that alone. So that was even more. That's brutal. Annoying. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the the downside is my spoiled Texas dogs are just totally confused by sub zero weather. So they go outside and they're just like, "Get me out of here! I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to the bathroom. Just get me out." So that's that that could be a problem. Um, but uh, happy to be back in Wisconsin and. Uh, excited. I thought I, I knew I was going to get the, the Wizards game on the 23rd and um, was able to come back this week. I'll be working. I'm doing the like work from home for a couple of days this week, but uh, excited to, to go to the Cavs game on Tuesday. Tuesday yeah, right. Tuesday. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully it'll be something like the last Cavs game, but I guess we'll do the preview tomorrow because I think uh, we wanted to spend today talking about that that end of the uh the home and home with with the big time sweep in chicago yeah frank it it, i i really don't even know i'm just gonna lay it out because i don't really know how to handle it at this point um so the bucks win 95 69 on friday night (laughs) um 95 to 69 uh I can't I, I really don't even get it and you you look at the second third and fourth quarter relatively equal the bucks ended up winning those by a combined 7 points 34 to 15 in the first quarter and I, I just think one the bucks haven't won a back to back all season two they've looked god awful in three of the four three the bulls are supposed to be a relatively good team Four, the Bucks have struggled against the Bulls in the past, and there's some bad stigma, some bad feelings, some bad, some bad juju there. there there's, there's just not good things going on. And five, the Bucks have struggled on the road, and ninety-five to sixty-nine is what we get at the end of it, Frank. I, I just, I, I, I'm, I was borderline speechless on Friday night. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was. Uh, I had a, a company holiday dinner thing, so I was torn the entire night whether to check the score or not, and I didn't. And I got back, and I just got back. Because you knew it was going to make you mad. You're like, oh, this can well, only go one way. Well, I don't know, because I'm always torn when I'm when I have it on DVR, because part of me thinks, just let me know, so then you know I can emotionally prepare myself. I'm going to watch it anyway, <laughs> and then you know have myself in the right frame frame of mind. And who knows? I mean, if it was bad enough, maybe I wouldn't even watch it, right? But, yeah. um, but I just watched it without knowing what was going to happen, and was just kind of sitting there thinking, oh, my God. I mean, I was – there were so many plays where I was just, like, audibly laughing at how fun and awesome it was uh, for a Bucks fan to watch. So, uh, I mean, obviously the the Bulls have to take a long look in the mirror after that game. I mean, they they, they should have taken a long look in the mirror after, after the Thursday night game. They kind of made it vaguely respectable uh, down the stretch in the fourth quarter. But – uh, there was there was nothing respectable about what happened in Chicago on Friday night, and um, I mean, we always talk about how hard it is to win, you know, to beat the same team twice in a row, um, on a back to back, as you said. I mean, this was you know, other than the fact that the Bulls are, <laughs> as we mentioned, the Bulls' lack of three point shooting makes them very well tailored to to the Bucks' defense. But other than that, I mean. The, you know, geez, you you look at this on paper and you think, well, this is a game that the Bulls clearly are going to show up for. And yeah. not only did they not kind of you know rise to the challenge, but somehow they looked even worse than they did the night before. And um, you know, I don't want to say it's all all on the Bulls because I, I think Bucks deserve a lot of credit too. But uh, you know, I don't think you get a ninety five sixty nine score unless you got the Bucks playing very well and the Bulls playing very, very poorly. Yeah, and I guess to I, I guess I kind of still want to talk about it in not necessarily generalities, but I don't want to dig into the individual stuff yet because I, I thought in the late first quarter, early second quarter was some of the most I don't even know unselfish basketball we've seen this Bucks team play. I think it's some of the most um, quick half court paced uh, basketball the Bucks have played, and, and one thing that has been consistent throughout the season is we talk about pace, but then the the big thing with us with pace is not pushing the ball up the floor, which they did, and they did well. And obviously, when the Bulls aren't making shots and turning the ball over, that helps. But in the half court, they were pushing the pace. the The ball was constantly moving. There's players constantly moving, and it just seemed like when you hear after a game, or I, I guess the, the whole idea has been the Bucks want to play Spurs-type basketball, Warriors-type basketball, whatever it may be. Those words have been thrown around. Those ideas have been thrown around since Jason Kidd has been in Milwaukee. And really, we've only seen, you could maybe say, that stretch where Brandon Knight was leading the team before the trade deadline. Maybe they were playing that a little bit. But not really, because BK was more shoot first, and he he constantly missed guys. And I don't think we've ever truly seen the the actual form of the ideas that we've had, the kind of the platonic ideals of the things that get tossed around. And in that first and second quarter, I thought we really saw everyone making the extra pass. And if dribbles were being made, they were aggressive. 
purposeful dribbles, not dribbles pounding the ball on the ground. And it was just beautiful basketball to watch. And I think I remarked on Twitter that there was multiple possessions where there was three or four times in the possession where I was like, someone shoot the ball. (laughs) You're open, shoot it. And it was extra pass, extra pass, extra pass. And then they still got a good shot. And it got to the point in some possessions where I almost thought they were taking worse shots because they wanted to pass the ball so much. And I just can't remember a time that I've seen a Bucks team do that. It's been a long while since I've seen that type of basketball played by the Bucks. Yeah, I just thought they had a streak. What was it in um in I think it was the year of the Bogut trade. They they basically became like an offense first. Do you remember this? They basically became like an offense first team down the stretch that year. So and that would have been they, I thought they had Skiles like was still around you're saying? Yeah, I think it was like it was spring of 2012. Um, and that was, I believe there was like a string of 30 assist games that, that spring, um, they didn't defend as well down the stretch after Bogut left, which, you know, understandable, right? You bring is that, is that like when they were running that like weird looping offense where like Monte and Brandon would just kind of, no, I don't know. I, I don't think I remember what you're talking about. Just continue. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we could, we could look it up, but, uh, but I mean, the, the the one play that stood out in particular, you you can think of the play right in uh, on Friday, the play where there were like three extra passes made and it got paid off with a three. I don't, who, I don't <laughs> it even. It was a Mirza three. Yeah, it was Mirza, and I think Jet was involved. Giannis was involved. I don't know. Like there were like ten guys involved. They were, they passed it to some dudes on the bench and they kept passing. I don't know what it was. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it was, and it was uh, a bad it, shot. Like it was Mirza, like from. Kind of like in between the right wing and the top. Yeah, it was like key. a like it, it was, was a ab- bad shot. Like there was another Bucks player like cutting on top of him, and like somehow it, became, it was a, it looked bad, but they had passed up like eight other shots before that. And it's a Mirza shot, so it's never bad. Correct. Um, but yeah, the the, and uh, let me say this as well. So we always. I mean, it. The only time we talk about Jason Terry is either Jason Terry pumping up the crowd or Jason Terry. <laughs> playing too many consecutive minutes. Um, you say this about Jason Terry, okay? So his on-off numbers are, like, amazing. Immaculate. And, I, and I mean, we'd first acknowledge and say, okay, it's not because Jason Terry is just a great basketball player. Um, you know, it's mostly because the Bucks bench units are just a lot better in general than opposing bench units. And, you know, Giannis gets out there with bench units. Greg Monroe's out there. Brogdon's out there. Uh, you've got players who who tend, have t- tended to be better than whoever they're playing against, and, and it's worked out very nicely. Um, but I will say this. When Jet's on the court, I mean, yeah, he's 39 years old, right? Obviously, he's not physically, you know, uh, <laughs> at the peak of his game, but... It's it's interesting. I hope a guy like Vaughn kind of watches him because Jet's just sort of like he's always you know he moves and he and he knows where he needs to go and he makes quick passes and he makes decisions and I can kind of understand why in the context of you know him being on the court with a bunch of other guys who are better players obviously that he can kind of work in that even though he hasn't shot great. I think he's at like thirty five percent now on, from threes or something like that. Um, so I don't know. I don't want to like glorify jet and say like oh you got to get him 20 minutes every night or whatever it is i mean clearly the bucks you know would be better off if they had a higher caliber you know player at this point 
playing his kind of minutes. But, um, but I don't know. I mean, the context of that bench unit where you don't really have, you know, you've got a number of, of very good players, especially when you obviously when Giannis is out there with those guys, um, I can kind of see why why you know Jet isn't isn't a negative and and why, for instance, a lot of times when I'm watching him, I'm thinking Rashad Vaughn would not help this team as much as Jet is doing realistically. Yeah. Um, but anyway, not not don't <laughs> don't want to talk too much about Jet. Um, but yeah, it, it was just a game that was just very easy. And you know, I mean, how many times did somebody get sucked in and you know Giannis made a pass to some? I mean, Toledovich had two strolled down one one was strolled down the right baseline another was cut straight down the heart of the defense Are after you about to talk Mirza air to Ledovich Mirza air to Ledovich yes Mirza air to Ledovich yeah Mirza had a couple of just you know stroll down the unimpeded to the basket for a dunk Giannis got you know cut and and was wide open for just what like two three at least <laughs> just monster dunks um th- there were a lot of moments where I'm sure the, the, I think when I think actually it did happen, I think Wade at one point was like looking around like what the hell's going on. Um, and I don't know. By the way, one other thought before I, I let you comment on that. Have you <laughs> they, they showed you, you remember uh, seeing some of the clips of Fred Hoiberg in the huddle, like talking to his team? Have you, have you ever seen? OK, I don't know if you well try to pay attention next time there's like a bulls game on try to pay attention to fred hoiberg in a huddle he sounds like the most uninspiring dude it's like it's like you know having an accountant try to draw plays i mean it's like you just look at him you're just like i mean i know he played in the nba so it's not like he's like literally just some random guy off this you know some random bean counter or something but it just listen to him it's just like man this guy does not strike me as like the NBA <laughs> coach who who inspires me to be great. Like, yeah, just such <laughs> whatever. Um, but anyway, I just thought that was funny. But but yeah, lots of lots of lots of big dunks and fun plays to make me cackle in my living room. <laughs> to piggyback on that, uh, obviously the Bulls were in town before that, and obviously I always go to away team availability and talk to like talking to Hoiberg. He would. I think he talked for 10 minutes and answered like five questions and he just kept talking. And like you said, like he's not very, he sounds like an accountant and he just keeps talking and talking and talking, but he doesn't ever say anything. And I think that makes sense. Like thinking about his huddles too. Like I'm sure he's talking and doing things, but God, he's, he's dreadfully boring. Um, So hopefully, uh, actually, I mean, I don't really know. Maybe that, means he should stick around with the bulls for a while and they won't be good but yeah he he does seem like a, a very boring person um moving on to Giannis cuts i have started to love and hate one thing in particular about bucks games when a buck drives baseline they will undoubtedly jump into the air which the the, the, the jabari which, jump. which is not a good idea you don't want to do that while you're trying to make plays and they'll just get in the air and like move the ball around a little bit. And then all of a sudden they'll just throw it to the middle of the floor and it's terrible basketball. Every coach on earth just has to cringe. And yet they keep doing it because Giannis is somehow there every time. I don't, I, I don't understand how it's possible but no matter what, if you see someone jump on the baseline while they're trying to create, they are going to get an assist to Giannis 
or they're going to get a hockey assist because somehow Giannis is going to snare it, maybe because his wingspan is 12 feet, but he's going to snare it, and either he's going to throw it down on someone, get to the basket for a layup, or draw some attention and kick somewhere else. And I I tweeted it, I think it was during that first or second quarter, and then a little bit later, I don't know if you remember this one, Delhi drives baseline and somehow throws one like behind him. And that was like Giannis's like big two hand hammer. He sucked he sucked in like three guys and then Giannis is wide open, which feels like it's not an idea. No, weapon. no, it doesn't. But like I said, like guys now with the Bucks play make like that all the time. So at some point, I assume teams are going to take away Giannis um, cutting. But it, it, it's another thing too with Giannis is that he's so damn active out on the floor that when say from the outside, if you're thinking, man, how does Giannis keep scoring 20 plus a night and, and not have a jump shot? Cause teams can sag off of him and they can make sure he can't do anything off the dribble. And he just scores on cuts all the time because you think, Oh, this dude doesn't shoot. So I can sag, I can hang out here a little bit in the lane and not worry about it. And if you think that for a second, Giannis is cutting behind you for a dunk every time. And, and it, it's just fascinating the player that well except except Giannis is now shooting threes so that makes it even more fun right because that means that probably that backdoor or you know that it's not even backdoor it's cut down the middle yeah. you know is, is going to be even more open right because the guy has to kind of come out a little bit further yeah it, it, it's it's for, quite frankly it's illogical Frank um so since we are on to Giannis individually let's talk about threes um I believe two for three on Friday that brings him to around 36%, I believe, in December. And I think it's on about three attempts. I'd have to double-check on the numbers on that. Um, but about three attempts per game. That seems like it's going to get it done, right? Yeah, he's at 35.7% on three attempts per game in nine December games. So that's not a, not a tiny sample. No. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Also... His consistency, um, you know, October was a short month, only three games, but his numbers across the board, October, November, December, um, 23, 22.7, 22 points per, 22 points per game. So he's averaged between 22.2 and 23 points per game in each month, between 5.3 and 6.1 assists each month, and between 8.5 and 10 rebounds per game each month. This month, he's at 22.2, 10 rebounds, <laughs> 6 assists, and the big difference is that he's bumped up his three-point shooting this month which uh, he didn't do, obviously, at all in, in the previous couple of months, really. So, uh, so yeah, it's, I think the three-point shooting is definitely something to watch because now you can tell he's looking for it. Yeah. You know, I think that's the big difference is he, he's looking for um, that, that decent look at a three-point shot where he doesn't need to hesitate and he can kind of catch it and immediately go be going into his shot, which, you know, we've discussed is, is a much better look for him. Did you um, see, did you see Charles tweets, um, over the weekend? I know you've been driving, so you might not have seen them about, no. um, so he tweeted on what's the 16th. Oh, I guess that'd be Friday night that Giannis after the game said, kid told him to start taking the free throw line jumper to avoid taking such a pounding while driving. Um, and that he's still going to the hoop and dunking, but not doing it every time. And it was interesting to, to kind of, I think, I think you should dunk every time, but you know, 
I guess I guess it's just me. <laughs> I don't disagree with the dunking every time strategy, but it, I guess it was interesting that that he would say that kid said that that to because obviously everything with kid is hey man don't take the three you got to attack the rim and now to hear kid kind of move him away from that I, I thought that was interesting. I think this will immediately be interpreted as Jason Kidd wants Giannis to only shoot mid range jump shots. So. <laughs> Yeah, that that would probably be uh, would be the way that that would get interpreted. But it, I just thought it was interesting that that would be a, a thing that Jason Kidd said because it, it doesn't sound like something he would say. Well, we talked about uh, in the Raptors game. I think I want to say Jim Paschke said that Kidd had told him to to be ready to to kind of drive, you know, take a dribble in and and pull up for kind of an elbow type jumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that game, and he did that, I think once or twice. And he, I mean, he had a, he, I mean, hit a number of jumpers, which we talked about. So it's not necessarily, you know, surprising. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if if that becomes a bit more of a consistent thing. I mean, I think the thing is, like, he, we've seen Giannis kind of put up like off balance jumpers, like mid range jumpers, a few times. He hit that one, which we, or I think two actually that we talked about in the tra- yeah. Raptors game. I still think that's kind of maybe a bridge too far unless he's uh, unless the clock's kind of running down because it's sort of like Giannis is taller than everybody that he's going to be guarded by more or less. Uh, And so there's like no real need for him to be shooting fadeaway jump shots when you think about it. You know, it's like it's cool if he has a Dirk step back, but it's like, first off, no, (laughs) it's the Dirk step back because it's Dirk shot and everybody else generally sucks at it. And Giannis definitely isn't good at it. So just shoot on balance jumpers because nobody's blocking your shot anyway. Um, but, but yeah, it will, uh, will, will be interesting to see that kind of evolve. I mean, obviously that's the big question, right? Is, is the three point shooting sustainable? If he's, if he shoots 35% the rest of the year, um, we will be very, very happy human beings. Yeah, that would, that would be one hell of a development. Um, let's, let's talk about some other stuff from this second bulls game. Um, I think I think the bench production is something that we've hinted at, talked about a little bit, and talked about from a more individual standpoint. But the bench the other night against the Bulls, I think, goes for 40, 41 points maybe, something of that nature. And obviously most of those aren't garbage time. Um because Maker barely scored, Novak didn't score, Plumley didn't score, Vaughn didn't score. Um, so it was mostly guys that were were playing minutes and actually having an impact on the game. Does this is this bench the the twenty fourteen fifteen bench? Well, we talked about the other night that from a kind of net rating how the Bucks are winning games perspective, there are there are some parallels in the sense that especially the line the lineups with Henson starting had been negative for a while and i think they may have trended back over positive uh after friday the also the Giannis jabari pairing is now positive on the season obviously Giannis is a big plus overall um so there are definitely some parallels where the starters are not really the differentiators for the bucks and it's really the bench where the bucks have sort of made their hay and so i think it'll be interesting to see how that evolves um, you know, we talked with Matt Moore last week about the possibility of trading Greg Monroe. Um, and it's very interesting, you know, what, what, for instance, that might do to, uh, the Bucks 
bench and whether you know trading Greg Monroe like whether whether you could get something for Greg Monroe that actually would make this team better which I'm kind of skeptical this season I, I it's not to say that I think they should like try to keep Greg Monroe forever because I think ultimately they're going to try to get rid of Greg Monroe because um, you know I think it's just easier to build a team if you have more of a obvious defensive center uh at multiple positions and just because you can't mm-hmm. go to Plumley, so you might as well you might as well redistribute your talent and and have Plumley and, and Henson or I don't know, you know, maybe Thon one day get get some more of those big minutes. But I think it'll be uh it'll be it's it's all kind of interesting to watch. But certainly the bench, you know, we haven't seen Beasley the last couple of games, but Michael Beasley's obviously been very good, you know, much better than certainly a lot of us expected um in terms of actually helping win games and being efficient and doing all those things. He still kind of has to catch the ball and wait a second before he does anything. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, he's he's obviously, you know, more than uh, lived up to, to expectations. Yeah, the the bench, I, I guess that's the, the thing with the Monroe trade is, I, I guess, obviously trading Monroe makes, has always made sense in that you, you know he's probably going to be gone. You want to get something for him. But at the same time, I think you have to weigh, do you have a good thing going here? And since Monroe is such a a large part of that good thing, I, I think the last time I checked, he had the best net rating on the team. I'm not 100% sure if that's still accurate. But if you trade Greg Monroe, that good thing might not be as good. The The bench with Miles Plumley playing 23 to 25 minutes a night probably isn't going to have the same impact as it is with Greg Monroe. Monroe is kind of shouldering the playmaking load and he he's the guy that kind of makes things move offensively um, with some of those bench units. Obviously most of the time there's another creator in, in Jabari or Giannis out there with them. Um, but at the same time, they, when Monroe's on the floor, normally he's kind of the hub of the offense, toss it into him and kind of use him as the catalyst for some of that that good ball movement and creating some shots so it's funny how quickly it's kind of turned that Greg Monroe is playing some of I mean I wrote about it I don't even know what it's a month ago at this point that he's playing the best basketball of his life And, and I do I still believe that that the way he's playing defensively as as well as the way he's passing the ball, how willing he is to pass, how willing he is to help an offense move and move along and move the ball. This is the best Greg Monroe I've ever, I've seen in Milwaukee. I know that for sure, and I don't think anyone in Detroit would would argue me that this is the best Greg Monroe we've ever seen. So um, it, it's just interesting how quickly this has kind of turned, um, and it's got it. For the most part, it's tough to say it's anyone other than Monroe that deserves the credit for it. And obviously who he's playing against helps, I think, yeah. too. Because, uh, you know, let's be honest, I mean, against second units, and granted, we say second units, even though, I mean, very, you know, it's not like... There's not line uh, Teams just yeah. line shift, right? Like, usually you're seeing a mix of starters and bench guys. But uh, certainly Greg uh, is taking full advantage of that. He's a plus 9.6 points per 100. It is the best on the team. Second is Jason Terry, plus 9.3, then Giannis at plus 7. Um, so, you know, okay, the, there there are weird things that happen with plus-minus data. But um, but I think what we see from him is, um, you know, and they're also only, those are the, also the only three guys who the team has a negative rating when they're off the court. 
Um, and it's most pronounced with Giannis. So the Bucks are minus 8.7 <laughs> when Giannis is off the court. So it's a 15.7 point per 100 differential, him off versus on. So that, and that's ultimately the best sort of tell of who is the most useful player on this team because the Bucks are minus 1.8 without Greg Monroe. Um, so the, the, the total net on off, you know, kind of differential isn't as big mm-hmm. as with Giannis. So, okay, don't worry. Giannis is still the best player on the team. Don't worry. Even even with net rating, we can make that yeah, story. Yeah, his net um, rating is looking Middleton-esque. It is. It is very Middleton-esque this year. So, um, but yeah, I think Greg's certainly taking advantage of. We've talked a lot about you know his his effort on defense being better. Um, it doesn't fundamentally change the type of player he is necessarily, yeah. but you know, 111.2 offensive rating with Greg on the court, by far the best of any buck. I mean. You know, over 110 is is insane, and right? That was the same and last de- year, defensively too. Defensively, right? 101.6. What the? Um, I I don't think it, it was not that pronounced. It wasn't. I, for some reason, I was thinking it was like Greg Monroe on court last year, 104.8 defense, 107.5. Hmm. So okay. basically, seven points per 100 better offensively, and six points per 100 better defensively. So that that is uh, that's that's encouraging stuff. Yeah. Um. That was that was not quite as good as i thought um but still uh obviously a a positive with uh with the offense there um other bench stuff mere i I guess one thing that okay i'm gonna do it um with with mirza and not beasley do you think there's less ball stopping going on that when you're seeing some of this very pretty, very unselfish, very uh, ball movement, player movement oriented stuff because it's just Mirza and not Beasley? I would say the ball moves better, yeah. And obviously, you know, Mirza's going to shoot more threes and uh, many of them contested, but he's one of the, you know, one of those guys in the league, one of the, you know, I don't know how many guys you'd put in this category, but um, there aren't that many guys in the league where, you know, contested threes are still pretty decent yeah. looks for them. And Mirza is in that category, I would say. So, um, so it, it, you know, it certainly um, gives you a different look. And the, the one thing has been frustrating is that kids been bringing in Mirza for Giannis to start games the last couple mm-hmm. games, and then Giannis then usually comes back, but. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of denies me my Mirza Giannis combination, which has been a huge, huge positive for most of the season. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't want to like rag on Beasley. I mean, I think the big benefit is that Beasley can guard smaller guys um, very competently. I mean, and that yeah. surprised me to say that, but, um, but I haven't really been concerned when he's on the court the, about that. Now, ironically, the you know net rating, defensive, offensive, defensive numbers. Bucks are are better offensively, worse defensively with Beasley on the court versus um, versus Mirza. You know why that is? I, I don't know exactly. Maybe there's something about who they're playing with, but um, you know, but that is interesting. I mean, I didn't bring it up to trash Beasley, but it's clear that they bring very different, very different things. And I, I think at times, like it was on on Friday night when things are rolling, Toledovich is the guy. Like you don't need. You don't need someone to create anything. Everything's going well. Let's keep it rolling. So let's bring in Mirza. The ball will keep moving. Players will keep doing nice things. But then there's other nights where things aren't going well. And 
Michael Beasley is your guy for when things aren't going well because he can just create something. He he he's a he's a natural creator. He's a natural shot taker, and he he just can make something happen. So if things are going poorly, I, I think Beasley is a much better option than Mirza Tladovic. Um, but I think all of that speaks to how much variety is on that bench and how how detrimental it could be if one of those pieces was traded away. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of I think you, you have to kind of see it, right? And Beasley's been good. Um not not to say that that he specifically would be the one to get traded, but um but it is interesting. I think the hard part of when you're only playing one of those guys is that sort of by default it means obviously Jabari Giannis, you you first and foremost if you only have one um three, four guy that you're bringing off the bench to play with them, then, you know, you've got, uh, to spread that, those minutes around a little bit, you know, maybe a, a little bit more heavily towards Giannis Jabari, mm-hmm. which probably isn't a bad thing. Um, but it takes a little bit more craft to, to only be moving three guys around rather than four. Um, and I think it probably, I, I'd have to check if Tony Snell has played the, th- I don't know if he's played the three much in those, uh, in yeah. the games here that Beasley's missed. missed. Um, that's probably not ideal because if it means that you're playing, you know, Terry more, that's probably not, not a good trade. Uh, but I will say that um, if you're, you know, for instance, putting Brogdon and Delvadova in together um, and letting Brogdon get some run at shooting guard, I think that's a worthwhile exercise, even if maybe there isn't a huge payoff immediately. I don't know if that I'd have to check if that if that pairing is, has done much together. But um, but I think, you know, getting Brogdon some more minutes and, and maybe by doing it at the two probably wouldn't be uh wouldn't be a bad way to to um to compensate let's say for for having one fewer uh kind of you know forward uh on 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 the uh, active roster every night so one thing i wanted to end this conversation with is we we've seen the bucks we've seen the bucks play a bunch of games this year and we've seen some some striking winning margins and i'm i'm trying to think so against the kings 117 91 against pace against the pacers 125 107 um let's see against is there another against the nets 111 93 against the Cavs 118 101 and then against the Bulls, 108-97, and then against the Bulls, 95-69. Those are large margins of victory, Frank. And frankly, I don't remember the last time I saw the Bucks put it on teams like they've put it on teams this year. The the And maybe there is, within an 82-game schedule, times where it happens. But I just listed off about was that seven games or so and we're 25 games into the season yeah well i think the the main thing is when was the last time the bucks had an above average offense and defense at this you know this late in a season and um you know in 2011 2012 which kind of bring it full circle that was the year when uh when monte came over they were 13th in offense and 16th in defense so they were close um but you go back the year before they were 30th they've been you know a bad offensive team under Jason Kidd up until the season uh you kind of dial it back i mean i'm looking back the years before the monte season they were in the 20s 
all those years. And then really not until 06, 07, they were 12th, um, but then they were 29th in defense. So they haven't been good, you know, pretty good at offense and defense at the same time, really, you know, for, I don't know. I mean, you could argue maybe there was that one blip in the 11, 12 season, but other than that, for the most part, you know, they were generally good defenses, bad offensive under Scott Skiles, and they were good offenses and bad defenses sort of in the early 2000s, you know, tail end of the big three era. Um, and, you know, even in the 2000-2001 season when they win 52 games, they were first in offense, 108.8, which is only about 1.6 more than they are right now. They were 20th in defense that year. Um, but ironically, a little bit better than they are now. Um, but that just sort of tells you how the the league's sort of offensive and defensive ratings have trended. You know, there's more yeah. points or more efficient offense now than there was back then, probably because of the three-point factor. So, um, so, yeah, I think it's just the fact that, like, don't look now, but the Bucks actually are, you know, average to above average in both offense and defense. And if you look at the last 11 games, and I'm cherry-picking my, my arbitrary here, end dates. I'm down with it. Let's go. Last last eleven games, the Bucks are ninth in offense and third in defense and fifth in net rating. Right, and you know, okay, there've been the Nets games were in there, so they had some easy games, but uh, they beat the Cavs. Obviously, they just beat the Bulls back to back. You know, they'll obviously have to keep playing good teams. They lost obviously to the to the Spurs. They lost to the Hawks. Um, they had some some tough losses in there as well. They lost to the Raptors, obviously, which is another good team. Uh, but I think, you know, the fact that we're here uh, this late in the season, which isn't that late, but the fact that we've gotten this oh, far, no, and I, I disagree. Like this is like twenty five games into the season. That's, well, it's a yes. legit sample. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I agree. It's a legit sample. We're obviously we're you know we're, we're too early still to think like oh this is just. This is who they are, right? When we, I think we want to see it continue to play out, but, um, but that's big. And and you know, if you look at, um, you know, five thirty eight or number fire, the the sites that that do sort of these probabilistic modeling based on strengths of schedule and offensive defensive rating so far, and and all those sorts of things, um, this is the best the Bucks have looked in terms of projected record. Bucks right now projected record is forty and forty two. On both sites, uh, I think Number Fire maybe had him like like a half game better, or like forty one and forty one or something. But but for the most part, um, you know about forty forty one win range, which if you think is is too modest. Um, look, the, these things move around. Obviously, if the Bucks mature and get better or whatever, yeah, they can get they, they, obviously they can do better than that. But um, just based on the point differential and the strength of schedule, um, I think it's a good way to to sort of see how those things play out. And the strength of schedule remaining that they face, and this is also the highest um, likelihood they've had to make the playoffs, which um, is around sixty percent in in both of those systems. So, um, so it's interesting. But by the same token, Bulls are still projected at forty and forty two in five thirty eight. Pacers, ironically, s- still projected to be forty one forty one. So, you know, Bucks are still very much in that like eight seed hunt more or less, despite the fact that obviously they've strung together some wins. And you, know, you look at the standings. What are they like? I don't know. What last time I checked, they were like a game or a half game out of third third place in the East. Something <laughs> something kind of kind of crazy like that. I think yeah, they're one one two wins and zero losses um, out of third spot. The Celtics are fifteen and twelve. So you know, I think there's there's still tons of churn that that can happen in the East standings. But um, by the same token, you know, the Bucks winning games convincingly, winning a game on the road, as you said, and also I mean, just taking two games from a Bulls team that. You know, could have been, if the Bulls had win win both games, they're third. Instead, they're eighth right now, right? 
And those those wins, as we discussed with Matt, you know, Matt mentioned, you want to you got to win these eighth or sorry, these these Eastern Conference games against teams that you're competing with, because those are the kinds of wins because it gives you a win and it gives them a loss. So those are those are big kind of swing games in the standings. And um, obviously, uh, I mean, on paper, yeah, you go against the Bulls and you end up plus 37 with two wins in two games. That's that's a heck of a, I mean, that's like best case scenario by, by far. Essentially what I was trying to get at where I started and then where you just took us is hold on to your butts because the Bucks are actually good. <laughs> well, I, I hate using the phrase the Bucks are actually good because I'm now, now I'm just ready. I'm going to go to this Cavs game on Tuesday. They can get blown out. It's fine. Get, it's can, fine. J.R. Smith is going to hit nine threes. <laughs> And it's gonna make me sad. I can but. I can edit anyway, this whatever. out if that would make you feel more comfortable. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, it's fine. But no, I, I do, I've been I do. I've been I've been very we've been wary about saying that they're good. Um, but I think the the good news is that at the season's getting longer, and the Bucks' sort of fundamental numbers, um, you know, even as some of the you know maybe some of the the three point opponent numbers things like that, um, we haven't necessarily seen the full sort of reversion of those kinds of things. But the offense continues to look good um and the defense even if it's not quite this good you know i have no doubt this could be an average defense right which i thought would have been a, a good result yeah. so um so i think that's encouraging and i think it's especially encouraging uh because when you look at some of the the poor you know relatively poor defenders on this team um the idea that you could build a defense that actually is decent to good with them you know and i'm especially thinking of we talked about Monroe. Maybe it's not so relevant because he's not part of the long-term future. But certainly with Jabari, who we will talk about, I think tomorrow, um, it's it's pretty important to to look at him and and be able to still fashion a, a solid defense with him. Yeah, I, I guess essentially what I'm saying is, as we record these podcasts, and I think it's awesome, it's fun that we do this every day because you can kind of see your own thoughts progress as you're doing it. Every time we record one of these, every time the Bucks do something good, every time the Bucks do something bad, every day I'm I'm putting out new tests and saying, okay, well maybe I'll believe, or maybe I'll believe a little bit more if the Bucks do this, and maybe I'll believe more if the Bucks prove this, and and every time I've said something like this, there the granted there there have been steps back, but they've answered a a number of these questions where, okay, well you won against the Cavs. Now you got to win both those against the Nets. Oh, you did that. Okay. You lost to the Spurs. Can you answer against the Blazers? Okay. You did that. Uh, you lose three straight and struggle and some back-to-backs. Can you do something against the Bulls? Oh, you won two straight. And it's just as much as I want to be a pessimist and I want to say, there's no way this can hold, and there's no way that this team can continue to do good things. They keep doing good things, and and I think that's that's kind of it's kind of cool. And like I said, I think I'm to the point where I I think this might be a good team. Um, so yeah, that I think that's where we'll end for today. Um, tomorrow, I, Frank and I. Uh, Frank kind of teased it about Jabari Parker. Maybe we'll talk about Jabari Parker tomorrow. It, it depends how ambitious we want to be because I think it is it is a large topic. I will say that. It is. And it, I should emphasize, it is an evolving topic. Um, 
It and is. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that isn't as acknowledged as it should be. But um, but yeah, it, it should be talked about. At some okay, point. sounds good. We're going to get out of here. This has been Locked on Bucks. Like I just said, we do this every day. And, and I do think there is some value in joining that conversation and getting to hear and conversate with other Bucks fans on Twitter, going over to brewhoop.com and doing that in the comments section. I, I think there is value in that. And I appreciate all of you that are doing this on a daily basis and listening to us and going along on this journey with us so we very much appreciate all of your listens all of your downloads all of your tweets all of your comments all of those good things we do very much appreciate that um and it's the holiday season so i wanted to give you guys a thank you because we we do very much appreciate you heart you <laughs> that's gonna be it we're out of here we'll talk to you tomorrow